The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Hey, buddy! The Weasel is back on sequel quest, and this time I'm in Middle America. First up, it's a dude who's fully styling in his weasel wear, especially those Steven Tyler PJs. Steven Tyler PJs. It's Jeff. <laughs> That's me. Then there's a totally buff bro who just got to the farm and wants to know if those chickens are extra crispy or original recipe. It's Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and telling you I know all about being inbred. It's where your mom's your mom and your dad's your brother. I'm Adam. Oh, yes, indeed. And this must be the final countdown because somehow I have convinced <laughs> Jeff and Jeremy that we need to revisit the world of Polly Shore films with Son-in-Law. Oh, you know, our past discussions about continuing the worlds of Encino Man and Biodome were on very different sides of the spectrum, right? But still... <laughs> Very fun. And I wanted to return to a happy place. <laughs> and frankly, Son-in-Law is one of my all-time favorite movies. We will get into those details, but Jeremy, for those who have not seen this film, don't know what we're talking about, why don't you tell them? Alright, this is the 1993 Pauly Shore flick, Son-in-Law. Starring Pauly Shore, Carla Gugino... Uh, Lane Smith and Tiffany Amber Thiessen, directed by Steve Rash. And when conservative farmer's daughter Rebecca Warner decides to attend a liberal California college, the culture shock is severe. But luckily, she has a guide to the ways of the West Coast in Crawl, the eccentric resident advisor of her dorm. Feeling bad for a lonely crawl, Rebecca invites the party animal home for Thanksgiving. But when her high school boyfriend, Travis, tries to propose, Crawl steps in and pretends to be her fiancé by bringing his California style to mid-America life. Crawl manages to bring the Warner family back together again. Ah, uh, yes, a heartwarming tale indeed. So the first question we have to explore here with Son-in-Law is how... Often have we watched this film? When did we first see it? Was this a theatrical experience for any of us? <laughs> no. Was it a no. theatrical experience for anyone? <laughs> <laughs> not many. Not many, it sounds like. I mean, I will say I rented it often from Blockbuster Video until I eventually just bought a previously viewed copy from the store <laughs> and then continued to watch it over and over again. So I definitely loved it the first time I saw it and uh, went back over and over again. But Jeff, where do you think you caught it then? I feel like this was the one that was on TV a lot, especially if there was ever one of those like HBO free previews. It was a classic like middle of the day sort of a one that they would have on. For me, it was always one of those where I was like, yeah, I, I could watch that. Like, it was never, I was never excited personally or like I was going to 
you know, make plans around watching it. But if it came on, I'd be like, yeah, all right, I'll watch this. And Jeremy, you mentioned that you have seen this before. So what is your experience with Son-in-Law? Well, Polly Shore is an acquired taste. And this is probably <laughs> one of the first Polly Shores I saw, just probably because it was on TV or somebody else brought it up. Yeah, it's uh, it's one I've seen a few times. Um, we talked about this when we were planning this episode, that Polly Shore is a genre of movie. Right. You know, it's very specific, a Polly Shore film. Well, it's, it's similar to Adam Sandler. Like, you can't yes. just box well, him into a specific genre. It's an Adam Sandler movie. See, except for I feel like Polly Shore, I mean, because again, Polly Shore was a celebrity before he started making movies. He was an MT TV VJ, mm-hmm. and that's what people wanted. So he, it's not like he's going to make a serious movie where he's an English professor. It's like, no, we want, it's like, the, I think a better comparison would be Ernest. The Ernest movies. Oh, Ernest <laughs> was always Ernest in an Ernest movie. Just like Polly Shore is always Polly Shore. Well, and I think, yeah, we, we kind of have to get into that because when you look at Polly Shore's career, he actually, I was, I was listening to an interview with him recently, you know, and he was coming up the same time as Adam Sandler. He just exploded earlier into mm. the public consciousness and and started making movies in a relatively short period of time. You know, he made five movies, really, is all he has to his name. But they just came so fast in succession. So it's one of those things where, you know, Sandler seems to have had the longevity and... Polly Shore has not. Uh, and it's kind of it's a situation too where you look at him and I feel like, in my personal opinion, I don't think he exploited his weasel character, like the Polly Shore stereotype, enough. It oh. didn't go on long enough, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, if you look at his oeuvre, right, so you have Encino Man, which wasn't even a Pauly Shore film, but he was the breakout (laughs) star. Then you add Son-in-Law, which we'll discuss in more detail, which is a fully... Polly Shore film, but then after Son-in-Law was a hit, or, you know, relative hit for the time, then... Disney was, you know, saying, well, we got you a three-picture deal here, but New Line Cinema came knocking to Polly Shore. They said, hey, we have a movie about you going to London to be a nanny in London. And he's like, oh, that'd be a great script. I'd love to do it. And then Jeffrey Katzenberg over at Hollywood Pictures said, no, we want you to do this movie called In the Army Now. That's what we have lined up for you. <laughs> and so Polly Shore was like, well, I want to go to New Line and, and do it anyway. And so Jeffrey Jeffrey Katzenberg bought the script to this nanny movie and then shelved it so that he could not make the movie and had to make In the Army Now. And that is just like the beginning of the end, because in, in the Army Now, he is not at all the regular Polly Shore that you would expect. He's a kind of just like a bummed out dude. And same in his next movie, Jury Duty, where he's just like an idiot. Like, and then Biodome, we've already talked about at length, where he's just a full on jerk. So like he just his character became unlikable when he was wasn't being the weasel that's where my point of view comes from that's the lovable version of paulie shore and when he steps out of that it doesn't work well <laughs> interesting <laughs> speaking of that though what is your favorite part of paulie shore can you see what people liked about him or what have you liked about him in your viewings of his films crickets <laughs> well you usually call on one of us uh, <laughs> jeff Okay, there we go. Can I see? I don't know. I mean, like, it's such a... I feel like he is such a quintessentially, like, 90s 
thing where it almost doesn't make it, it's like it's like looking back at the bell bottoms of the 70s and they look so ridiculous to us now but they didn't at the time and that's that it's it's so hard i find to look back on on that because like honestly by today like we would always quote especially from encino man like we's in the juice and all all of the, the way that he had that like i don't know stutter or whatever was so hip back then but it sounds so dumb and annoying now so i feel like that his style of speech i feel like that was yeah like that was the thing i think that made it so unique that that was the familiar part and what i would say i would classify that is basically he was a male valley girl in a lot of ways yeah a lot of ways yeah but Jeremy, yeah. what about for you? When you if, if you've gone back and watched this movie several times, what is it about Polly Shore as an actor or a performer that appeals to you in any way? I don't know if it appeals to me, but <laughs> it's uh, it's the weasel or bust for him. Yeah, that, I mean, you know what you're getting, right? So that's yeah. what you sign up for when you want to see a Polly Shore film. And I would agree. Like, I think there is something so inherently likable about that character. Like, Jeff, you could say it's dumb and annoying now. I still say it's a little bit endearing because he is. He's just playing like a happy-go-lucky guy who's just being a little silly. You know, he's just like it, it's a it's a caricature, but he he comes at it in not uh, an angry way. He doesn't come at it in a way to make fun of other people you know what i'm saying like he's literally just kind of like trying to get good vibes and he's just trying to have you know some fun but when we get into you know looking at his his career and everything he was doing and then leading into this film you know he had comedy albums he like you said he was on mtv you know he was doing stand-up in clubs because his mom (laughs) owned a comedy club like he grew up literally in comedy clubs so he had all that coming up but he was a young guy so as he is making this movie like mtv was very involved they actually did a contest that was marry Polly shore marry the son-in-law he said they got thousands of entries from girls that wanted to marry him and so they literally had a ceremony in las vegas and then you know it lasted till the end of the day and then they got it an old and then it was over you know so but 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 there was an actual you know situation where they were there behind him promoting him like this is our guy he's making movies now and then you get to the the situation too where okay was it successful well it did gross over 40 million dollars you know with domestic and international box office by the end of 1993 so it's not like it was some sort of you know major bust and, and honestly i mean most most people that you talk to, I think outside of Encino Man, they would point to this one as saying like, oh yeah, that's the good one. <laughs> Are there particular characters, like just from an actor's perspective, that stand out to you from the cast when you think of this film, Jeff? Yeah, I mean like Kelly from Say by the Bell was yeah. going to be number one at the time. The interesting thing is that... Um, uh, what's her name that played Becca? She probably went on to have the biggest career of all of them. That she's true. still making movies to this day. And then my favorite, though, was Lane Smith. I mean, especially as a Lois and Clark, the New Adventures of Superman fan, and he was Perry White. I just loved him. So, like, I always was rooting for him. And he kind of always plays, he's also the, what is he, he's the prosecuting attorney and my cousin Vinny. I want to always root for him. So even though he's the dad, he, 
is kind of maybe not the bad guy, but you know, he's he doesn't like Crawl, and everyone's supposed to love Crawl, but I'm always engaged when he's in the movie. How about you, Jeremy? Is there a familiar face when you watch this movie? I mean, a lot of the faces look familiar, I just couldn't place them. <laughs> Your dog is trying to give you some hints. <laughs> well, he's saying, The Sandlot, The Sandlot. Because for me, like, one of the characters that just jumps out the most is Patrick Renna as the brother, Zach, the little brother. Because, right. of course, he's everybody's favorite guy from the Sandlot, and that's, I think, his most defining role. But it, I love his room because he's got 90s comic book posters on the wall. <laughs> Very exciting for a, a 90s comic collecting kid. But also, he was on the Netflix Glow series. I don't know if you guys watch that. But at the end of the second season, he was in love with one of the wrestlers, like a fan who was like obsessed. He was like the stalker. And then so she agreed to marry him to get her green card. And then during the ceremony at the last minute, she decides to marry the promoter. Oh, and he's like, yeah. love is a lie. He just gets so angry and he's all upset. I was like, it's, I can't believe it. So great to see him. <laughs> but speaking of Glow, there are actually three original Glow wrestlers in this movie so they are part of the mud wrestling scene oh. so they're kind of covered in mud you can't see mountain fiji plays thumper who Polly shore actually wrestles right. you know but then you have hollywood and lightning you know who who were very popular in the promotion back in the day as well so i remember it took me several years of watching to realize because i remember like they call them hollywood and lightning in the scene but i didn't make the connection right away and then i was like oh that's awesome so anyway it was always good to see them getting work that's that's what i say <laughs> but what about memorable moments for you guys like is there a defining scene in son-in-law or a, a bit that you enjoy jeff enjoy oh okay well that, then so then those are two separate questions for me because <laughs> The, the the moment that and I don't I feel like I feel like this in in every movie that has a scene like this where I don't know is it effective it drives me crazy one way or the other where they do a situation that they know is going to drive the audience crazy so like the whole situation towards the end where crawl and Tracy are in the the barn and they get busted and you know they didn't do anything but they get busted for it anyway and then that always sticks with me because it makes me so uncomfortable until that's resolved which I guess is the point but I don't like that feeling so I kind of don't like, if I'm watching that movie, I'll probably skip that part because I don't enjoy that feeling. Well, so... what's interesting about that, Jeff, you say that, and yeah, that was like really, like, aside from everybody picking on Crawl or not liking Crawl, like, it's not really a negative movie. It doesn't have those types of vibes. So you're right, like, when you get to that situation where oh there's actual drama now that yeah it, it is a little unsettling it, it kind of changes the tone of the film for about five or ten minutes yeah right. which is kind of one of those things too and i remember a, a film professor was telling me one time that he's in his view he said a, a great comedy never has to break the comedy to tell story and very very few comedies can pull that off because story implicitly has some level of drama or something like that so but it is that interesting thing about the Polly Shore character he very rarely breaks the comedy 
even when he's serious. Like the the worst he gets is kind of that like you know oh shucks kind of like I got busted or I'm you know being attacked right now or whatever. But yeah, you're right. Like you said before, he doesn't get angry or, or anything like that. But for me, the hijinks one that always stands out is the beginning with him on the tractor. And just like some of it is also just that frustration where it's like everyone's chasing after him and he's very clearly like destroying things and doesn't seem to care. Or To John Denver's, thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another one that's just... There's a lot of, there's a surprising number of uncomfortable moments for me in this movie, but that one does always stand out. And I do love John Denver, so that does help too. Yeah, I was going to say, whenever John Denver shows up, you're always game. <laughs> what about you, Jeremy, and your many watchings of this film? What gets the biggest laugh out of you? Oh, well, I mean, I guess the character building between he and the little, the brother the kid gets a virus on the computer or has some computer issue. And he's like, you told me not to touch anything, but I'd have to touch your computer. <laughs> and then he, he like wins him over instantly. Yeah. So he's like, so you're just an old hacker disguised as an idiot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. Um, and then, yeah, obviously scrawling his signature crawl into the cornfield is it's a laughable moment. Which I it makes me wonder what came first, the Aerosmith video where they write crazy into a cornfield just like that. So, hmm. And then there's all sorts of little conflict points throughout this movie that has some air of comedy to them in their resolution. I mean, obviously, Crawl walking in on the mother thinking it was Rebecca <laughs> and him turning that whole situation around into bringing the father some joy in that and the mom being perked up and just out of the blue, a random occurrence and like, whoa, we can fix this and fix the whole night. Nasty. <laughs> girlfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> he calls her a nug. I don't know if that's offensive in this day and age. <laughs> that, that is his word for a woman is a nug. So, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, there there is a lot to that. And I think, you know, what I realized in my rewatch of this film this time, and especially as I'm now trying to watch it through the lens of, okay, how do you continue this story? When I was thinking about my pitch, what I realized in this movie is he never becomes a jerk. You know, like that's not part of his arc. He's always just the lovable goofball. And, and and he has his moments of drama. It's about wanting to be truthful or wanting to be serious, you know, like to help somebody. But it's never about, you know, kind of going in the wrong direction and having to come back on course. Because I had a scene in my pitch originally where that was going to be part of it. I'm like, but that's not the character of Crawl. That's not why we enjoy watching. It's not like we, you know, have to follow this, this harrowing journey of him becoming a real farmer. You know, that's not what it's about they have to adjust to him yeah so for me like i love so much about this movie obviously i could just count the ways but one scene in particular that always cracks me up is when they go to the hoedown you know in the barn so he takes over he's like horace come on i'll, I'll go at you bro you know he's like he wants he wants to call the square dance grab a nagus cones are busty weezer gig and maker crusty you know which is totally dirty 
dirty, but because it's nonsense, you, didn't, you don't take it that way. You know, it just it just seems like a fun time. You know, that obviously you stage dives, then the old guy tries to stage dive and misses. So there's there's some good stuff there. And then I also I love his relationship with Theo. Calls him City. He's always trying to catch him until Crawl manages to outsmart him. You know, he, he learns the ropes pretty quickly because, like you say, Jeremy, he's very resourceful. Right. The thing that always gets my goat, though, is when he gets on the rollerblades to feed the pigs in the trough, yeah. the hole in the bag on his back isn't big enough. So literally just like a few kernels of whatever is in there even yeah. <laughs> comes out. I was, I was like, oh, it's a great idea, Crawl, but next time, rethink it. But uh, I, I really do enjoy also his relationship with the grandpa to the point where you know, he's like, can I please whittle wood with you? Like, that's all he wants out of life. <laughs> you know, I don't know when he calls him like, hey, are you bar- Bartles or James? And I didn't know what that meant forever. Like, you know, he says they produce wine coolers. So I I assume they were some sort of like Orville Radenbacher, you know, type old man thing. And I finally got a VHS tape from the 80s that had old commercials on it and it had a series of Bartles and James commercials which were literally yeah two old guys on a porch talking about their booze you know so <laughs> so I was like oh I get it now son-in-law finally makes sense after all these years <laughs> and of course you know it was always funny in the 90s when an old person would talk hip right you know it's like it really tweaks my melon to see a buff bro like crawl here get wheezed on by a <laughs> greasy scumbag like you you know anyway, i just i love like that that kind of turn around that old, that trope is so old but you don't see it as often anymore you know it's, it was played out but most of all for me guys i am living the life of son-in-law now <laughs> as a californian living in montana okay and i was the Californian son-in-law that my wife's mom was against when we got engaged. My wife has told me that when she told her mom, she's like, no, no, you don't do like, because the bias here, I, I don't tell people I'm from California unless I know they're already from out of state also because they hate Californians up here. <laughs> and I am, you know, a very uh, eccentric in my own way, you know, so I do what I do and it's very different pretty much anywhere I go, but especially here. I can totally relate to Crawl on many, many levels. And so, you know, as we talk about Polly Shore, you know, first of all, somebody... Give the guy some more work. Let him star in some movies. He wants to do it. Return of the Weasel, please. <laughs> What's the Weasel doing? If Bill and Ted can do it, I think Polly Shore can come back. Did Bill and Ted do it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they physically did. I need to watch it a few more times. I enjoyed it, but actually today, as we're recording, guys... This is the anniversary of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It came out on this day. Um, All right. So I think it's time that we consider then. You know, I said Polly Shore could have done more with the Weasel character. He needed to complete the trilogy. I think that if he had done that nanny movie in London, that sounds like the perfect story for him. It's just like Son-in-Law in a different country. And that could have set his career on a a totally different path or just the same path that was consistently good i don't know in my opinion good is a relative term now (laughs) we say to ourselves are we doing a sequel a prequel or a reboot to continue the story of crawl so jeff why don't you take it away 
All right. I decided to go in a th- in a fourth direction that I haven't done before, and I'm going to do Son-in-Law 3. So I'm going to assume there already was a sequel, Son-in-Law 2, <laughs> and we're going to make a movie after that. And I don't know I don't know if we're going to just make 3 and ignore 2 and just pretend like they just all missed it or if that's the joke, I don't know. But either way, in Son-in-Law 2, from one reason or another, Walter dies. It's mostly about the wedding and then about Crawl taking over for Walter and then Theo coming back to work for Crawl, being worried, willing to be like the L.A. type of guy. And the main conflict in the, the sequel then is Crawl taking over the, the, the farm but not fitting in with the town. And the, the resolution is that he's accepted even though he's different and embraced. And then they make him, you know, whatever. He's an upstanding citizen in the in, so, in the- so instead of the family, this time now he has to convince the whole town to love The him. whole town. Exactly. Now he lives there, he's uh, like whatever, and they're married and et cetera. So Son-in-Law 3 takes place 25 years later or 25 years after at least Son-in-Law 1. Fred and Rebecca, he goes by Fred instead of Crawl now. So Fred and Rebecca are pillars of the community. Again, they've been living there for 20, 25 years. Travis is now the mayor of whatever this little town is called. Tracy is the principal of the local school, which I'm going to call Bayside in her honor. Uh, And... Fred and Rebecca have two kids, Alex and Critter. Uh, Alex is a bookworm who works really hard on uh, getting into college, and that's all she focuses on. Critter, in the meantime, is a slacker, and he's kind of going down the path of crawl where he's kind of like the weasel, but much more apathetic about life. So the challenge is Rebecca decides to to work on Alex. Alex, you need to have more fun, whereas Fred decides to work on Critter because Critter brings home his new girlfriend, Jody, announces that they're engaged, and then we find out that Jody is actually Travis's daughter. So that has this whole conflict, because by the way, this is called Son-in-Law 3, daughter-in-law so fred and travis then start this like rivalry over their kids potentially getting married kind of like grumpy old men or man of the house where they're competing in all of these things there's like the local fair is going on so there's a hot dog eating contest that they both compete and like they're they're you know ridiculously trying to one-up each other uh there's a tractor racing that they do uh there's like a table setting competition and something so various forms of that sort of competition going on at the same time rebecca is trying to teach alex how to have more fun and so she goes and she gets like they get henna tattoos but they're like look ridiculous they do mother-daughter paintball which doesn't go well uh and then the kind of like the the the, the crowning achievement would be attempting to go to cow tipping which of course will go horribly so then we get to the end and uh, eventually both fred and rebecca realize that they got it backwards and they would be better at the opposite job so fred has to kind of get back into his inner crawl and take alex out in order to unlock who she really is meanwhile rebecca gets to really know jody and really find out that she is uh, a great person, and not only that, but also being able to see Travis through um, her his daughter's eyes heals that relationship as well. So everybody makes up, the kids get married, and everyone lives happily ever after. 
All right. I love Critter. <laughs> and I'm spelling it K-R-Y-T-T-E-R. So wow. That, that makes it more legit. By the way, where <laughs> did you pull Fred from? Just made it up? That's that's on the on the on at least when I looked up the internet, it said his name is Fred. Really? Last, maybe it was in the credits. I don't oh, know. I should have done more research on that. You think I know that? I wanted to call him Carl, but if his name was really Fred, then all right. I know because I picked a name for him just out of out of the air. So all right, well, good. So yeah, so I decided to take it a different route because in son-in-law. He drops a lot of details about his life, but like just enough so you know a little bit about him. Of course, he has that scene with Rebecca where she wants to go home and he shows her that he used to be this nerdy guy. And, you know, she now that he's changed, she's like, I can't believe it. That's what convinces her to experience the world that she has arrived into. So I decided to do a prequel, which is the rise of Crawl, right? How did he become Crawl in my film title? crawling so the name i've chosen for him in this is joey moore because i didn't have a frame of reference otherwise <laughs> so joey moore is a shy quiet 18 year old who prefers to sit alone programming video games on his home computer than to explore the wild nightlife of his las vegas home in the world of 1990 living at the riviera casino hotel where his mom is the gregarious pit boss who supervises the gambling activities joey's only friends are the girls of glow aka the gorgeous ladies of wrestling who record their syndicate TV show from the Riviera Casino Ballroom. The highlight of Joey's week is bringing down the latest levels of his video game, Weasel, for the Glow Girls to play and get some wrestling lessons. In the ring, Joey dresses in random glow costume pieces and takes on a stoner surfer persona, revealing that he can be outgoing, confident, and even funny. One wrestler in particular, Hollywood, is always encouraging the brilliant kid to leave Vegas and get the college experience in her home state of California or else be stuck selling medical supplies like his dad. But Joey's traumatizing social experiences in high school have kept him from taking that leap. Hollywood challenges Joey to a wrestling match where if he loses, he has to apply to a California college. The other Glow Girls playfully assist Hollywood in getting the victory and Joey relents, submitting his application. Arriving on orientation day with a rolling cart to haul around his computer, which makes him the target of taunts from the wrestling team jocks of Omega Nu Phi, Joey is overwhelmed by the free spirits he sees on campus and falls back into his old, introverted ways. When he's not studying, Joey is programming more levels of Weasel, and after a call from Hollywood reminds him why he's there, Joey decides to hack an arcade cabinet and set up his video game in the commons, where the rude and crude talking rodent that features a very distinctive crawling motion as his movement that is also voiced by Joey becomes a hit amongst the co-eds who quote it on campus as a cool inside joke. A hippie girl named Heather becomes friendly with Joey after he helps her out in the computer lab and reveals he is the guy behind Weasel. Heather invites Joey to lunch and starts telling everyone that he's the Weasel guy, which results in his fellow students demanding he shout out some of the catchphrases from the game to great acclaim. Joey starts updating the game with new levels each week to incorporate parts of campus life even adding heather to the game as a hippie swan named feather and playfully mocking the dean in another level which his class
classmates find hilarious. Heather is an astronomy major and takes Joey out for a night to stargaze at the constellations and enjoy a scheduled meteor shower, where Joey attempts to kiss her, but Heather makes it clear they're just going to be friends. This attention from Heather and other students helps Joey become more socially accepted, but ticks off Heather's ex-boyfriend Ryan, the ringleader of Omega Nu Phi, who retaliates by secretly stealing Joey's clothes and using them to spell dork on the lawn outside his dorm, where they are accidentally shredded by a landscaper's riding mower gone haywire. Needing a new wardrobe, Heather organizes a clothing drive for Joey, which results in an eclectic mix of fashion, which becomes his weasel wear, making him even more recognizable on campus and gets the former introvert invited to parties. With constant requests to quote the game, Joey just naturally begins to talk like that character all the time, which is even easier when he gets wasted on booze night after night, especially when he gets wasted on booze night after night, barely able to make it back to the dorms, earning the nickname crawl but instead of becoming the subject of ridicule joey as crawl becomes an icon who is brought in to share his wardrobe design philosophy in the fashion department of the school joey calls the glow girls at the riviera who are thrilled with his transformation then ask to talk to heather and they convince her to give him a chance for romance Heather agrees and they go on a date, where Joey drops the crawl persona and admits his feelings for Heather. They kiss and dance to the music being made by a group of world music majors playing didgeridoos, sitars, conga drums, and more. Returning to campus, they bump into Ryan, who tries to humiliate Heather for dumping him. But when Joey tries to stand up to the jock to defend her, he gets manhandled until Heather steps in to break it up. Reeling from his failed attempts to embarrass Joey, and now seeing that Heather is dating this dork, Ryan decides to strike hard by notifying the college higher-ups about an unauthorized electronics installation on campus that has caused a fire. Joey and Heather follow a fire crew that is rushing to the place where Weasel was installed, finding the area engulfed in flames and having caused major damage. Joey is crestfallen at the destruction of his game, but investigating finds that it was arson, which he suspects was caused by Ryan in Omega Nu Phi. But because the Dean was mocked in a level of Weasel, Joey's evidence is just missed and his status as a student is put in jeopardy thinking fast joey proposes a fundraiser to pay for the damages and because the dean discovers some inconclusive evidence that omega nu phi may have been involved they agree to participate to smooth things over joey calls in a favor from the glow girls who agree to rustle the omega nu phi boys of the college wrestling team in a tournament with all proceeds from the ticket sales going to the repair bill but ryan adds another private stipulation if joey's glow team wins He'll return the weasel motherboard that he removed from the machine before setting the fire. But if Omega Nu Phi wins, Joey drops out of school, never seeing Heather again. The tournament is a flashy, wacky affair, with the glow girls making short work of the meathead jocks and embarrassing them. But things start to change when the collegiate wrestlers use some tricky holds that even up the score. When Hollywood goes down with an injury after her semi-final match, and the rest of the glow girls take are taken ill when Omega Nu Phi spikes their water bottles, Joey has to step in for the final match and face off against Ryan. Dominated during the match and clearly out of his league, Joey is eventually able to use his patented crawl move he worked into the Weasel video game to escape a submission hold that Ryan had on him. And with a little interference from Heather, who delivers a low
low blow to her jerky ex-boyfriend after he taunts her, Joey gets the pin for the win. In the epilogue, we see that Weasel has been restored in a brand new machine, and Heather has decided to transfer to an astronomy research program in Europe. But Joey, aka Crawl, is not ready to leave campus just yet, revealing he was made resident advisor of the dorm. They say their friendly goodbyes, and Joey closes the door to his room, where Crawl is spray-painted on the door as credits roll. Crawlin'. Is that with the G or without the G? No G, a crawling and apostrophe. And an apostrophe. All right. I see it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremy, what do you got? Okay, we are jumping in the time machine and going back to 1993. And we are shooting immediately following the last one. We are shooting Christmas with the Crawl. Uh, one month after Thanksgiving, the Walters take make the trek to California to meet, you guessed it, Crawl's family. We're flipping the script where Crawl, being the fish out of the water, is now the Walters having to adjust. Dad is the hippie Greenpeace anti-farming parent, while Mama Crawl is all business. And this just rubs the Walters all sorts of wrong. We are introduced to a former Crawl lover from his own hometown claiming that he is the father of her love child, only for that to get resolved early in the third act in the background as she goes into labor and the child is definitely not crawls. Hijinks ensue, all hell breaks loose, and the Walters pack up trying to leave one night angrily, but Crawl and Rebecca stop them in the driveway headlights and have to talk them off the ledge and back into the house. At that point, everyone is loaded up into the sauna room and not allowed to leave until they clear the air and make peace. Ha! Harmony is reached amongst the families after some neighbors of the Crawl family had used the sauna before them, burnt some herbs in there, putting everyone in both families into a lighter mood when the resolution happens at the end. All right, so this is a very meet the fuckers situation. Yes. <laughs> so, so marijuana is the solution? <laughs> and everybody gets high happily ever after. Good. Good. Uh, well, it's a Polly Shore night, so where do we fall, Weasels? Adam, where is your vote? This is interesting because, yeah, as I'm thinking about it, it's like, yeah, continue the story in the modern day or continue it immediately after in a continuity where you see it. Oh, OK, this is what the next phase would be if this had been a monster hit. And I mean, I, I like that Jeff gave us a complete trilogy, you know, like <laughs> it's like we got a middle movie. We're not even going to touch. It's just that that one's done. And then we're, we're focused on the kids. But I really think there is a lot uh, to be done with the concept of, yeah, Rebecca's family coming for an extended stay, even though it's totally against the continuity, and we'll get into this, <laughs> of, of what was explained. But but we could work with that. We could work with that. So I got to vote for Jeremy. All right, Jeff. Well, so as, as you were actually explaining, Adam, about the untapped potential of the multi-layered Polly Shore character, the weasel... <laughs> I don't know if I agree, but I also feel like if you're going to do another Polly Shore movie, that's what you got to do. So that was the one thought that, yeah, I liked the... Because for me, I like that dynamic. Like you said, with the meet the fuckers of, of having the, the fish out of water thing be the, quote, normal people are the ones that don't quite fit in. Same thing with, like, the birdcage or whatever. 
Yeah. But my only hesitation is then Polly Shore still doesn't get to be Polly Shore. Other people get to be Polly Shore. So with that in mind, seeing Adams, even though I feel like I want more glow wrestlers than it sounds like we would get, <laughs> even though we get a lot, I would still go with Adams because I, I feel like seeing a good last chunk of the movie with the dawn of crawl i'd be in for okay jeremy what are we gonna do here uh, well we're going back to the future with the origins of crawl um Ooh. played by present day Polly shore pretending to be young crawl <laughs> <laughs> well i mean we got de-aging technology you know if you oh, just no low budget just Polly Shore and Wigs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stipulation of your vote, huh? That might be another question, though, is who is the next Polly Shore? I know. I really thought about that. I was like, who who fits that mold and who could play it? You know, who could get it done? You know, in, in such a way that it actually feels like an actual Polly Shore. Because, like, is there a young person even? Like, I don't watch Saturday Night Live these days. Like, is there somebody known for impressions you know is there somebody that has you know that uh, reputation that, that's not a common thing with current comedy i mean other than like bill Hader can do just about anything you right, can throw that bill was the Hader name that came that he's came so to old mind. but <laughs> at the same time he just put paulie shore back in the back in the makeup then yeah well right compared to bill Hader. and not only that but like i feel like that's the other thing is that there's a certain level of physicality where it's just like not that Polly Shore was a physical comedian, but just he has a certain almost like the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz where his arms and legs <laughs> just go in random directions. And that's not easy to do. Bill Hader, I don't think, can do that. Well, as as we're considering who is the actor that can inhabit the role, I do think if we can't agree on Jeremy's casting of Polly Shore playing himself as an 18-year-old, then I feel like what you can do with Polly Shore to have him involved is almost like asides. Like maybe they're in black and white. Maybe they're like just like there are these moments where the movie stops and old crawl kind of comes in and he kind of gives his philosophy on each moment you know like so he's that's good yeah like he's kind of like the greek chorus or something for the film the greek weasel i just feel like he could do something to participate on that level because like at first i was like should he play like the dean you know what i'm saying like but you want him to be himself so that he's got to play a version of crawl so so that would work but yeah i mean because like the the casting question becomes like is there somebody who almost just has that vibe naturally and all you have to do is just turn Turn them up you know what i'm saying like like who's somebody who is not putting on a show that almost has that weasel vibe right and unfortunately the ones yeah i'm thinking ones that are all too old because like sasha baron cohen would be perfect but he's also <laughs> too old so i don't know we might just have to go with jeremy and let Polly shore just let Polly shore rocket i mean it's gonna look like the peewee movie that was on netflix where you can kind of see that paul rubens is much older now and he's got you know many layers of makeup but right but we could eddie murphy this thing to where he's playing the young version of himself and the old version of himself yes and then sometime in between like this could be an anthology movie of the origin of crawl 
<laughs> so here's the question I have just about, you know, the plot points of it. Like, obviously, yes, I lean heavily into the glow connection because to me, I'm like, he's from Las Vegas. They were based in Las Vegas. It just makes sense. They were, you know, glow girls were in the first movie. So it's just like, let's keep it all together here. But do you guys like the rustling connection? And that's where a little bit of his, his, you know, character came from was just messing around while he was in the ring, creating a, a persona. I guess my thought was, I thought that was going to be, as you were describing it, I thought that was a larger chunk of the movie. Whereas with all the, all everything else that you had, it made it sound like that probably only lasts about 10 to 15 minutes. Right. That's just the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Before he goes to college. So yeah, I was kind of seeing that. Again, that's where I kind of wanted to see that fleshed out a little bit more. But then, yeah, it shifts the kind of movie. Because it feels ultimately this is a college movie about like yes. college hijinks. That's just <laughs> the setup about what gets them. It's, it's you know, the dad driving the nerds to, to college in Revenge of the Nerds. Exactly. So, yeah, so it, it is. I mean, obviously, they're very involved. You know, they're his support system. He doesn't rely on his parents. You know, the Glow Girls or his family is kind of how he feels about it so to me like there's a lot of comedy to be mined from it because you could have all the different characters at different times messing around and joking with them and getting on the phone you know and that that kind of stuff so and then when they show up at the end you know even more so but like how would you seek to expand that then jeff do you think it would have to be taken away completely from college or what I mean, the challenge is, because it's the other challenge, too, is one thought that I had as like a danger to slip into is there was a part of me as I was listening to the pitch where it was like, nobody really likes him. They just like his video game character. So, hey, you be more like that. And then he's having to fake it in order to and that's because that's not i don't think that's not the story that you're wanting to tell so then it's that wanting to have enough that that's different it's not that he's like the only way i'll be accepted is if i pretend that i'm this character that i'm not instead it's more this is actually me right that this is the me that i've show through this video game yeah i mean I, and i see what you're saying there because like the way i was trying to portray it and like i said i cut out a chunk where the heather character talks to him and says hey you know you're boozing it up every night you're partying you're just trying to be this popular guy is that really you but i think ultimately what the premise is and i didn't hit it very hard is that is who he is right like like that he, he just always had repressed it and he kept it down and kept shy and he finally was able to let it out and people accepted him you know through his video game yes but he was able to kind of be himself finally i didn't play that very heavily right and so that's what i'm saying if, too then if you emphasize the intro with the glow part that needs to be the emotional crux of the of the film so the setup can still be like yeah if, if that was half the movie then i don't think you have enough time for that. <laughs> but i do like i do like on the flip side like you had them coming back in they come back in as like the almost like the stereotypical motorcycle gang yeah that you become a friend <laughs> well i'm friends with these you know female wrestlers so that works really well yeah that'd be a lot of fun jeremy were there any uh plot holes or things for you that you you thought could be improved or we could just add to uh not off the top here i because mean, obviously like in a certain respect it was cliche you know like you say college movie jerky you know fraternity guys and all that kind of stuff but that's that is that's also 
a genre of film. You know, there's just that was such a big thing in the late 80s and early 90s. You know, like Jeff, I know you very familiar with PCU and movies like that. So I just felt like if we're shooting it today, like Jeremy is suggesting, maybe it's not as common, but then maybe it becomes more of a throwback, almost, you know, semi parody now that people know Glow more because of the Netflix series, then that angle plays better as well. You know, so I, so I feel like maybe there's just it's it's a throwback film that people can appreciate on that level. But as far as old Polly Shore playing young crawl, do you guys have any preference? Like, do we take the joke all the way through? I feel like the way the only way the joke is going to work is that no one seems to know that he's old and nobody like, cares. Well, let, yeah, like 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 because he's not. It's and so it's like a suspension disbelief sort of a thing. Okay, so you you wouldn't want to have the rest of the cast all be older actors as well. So it's kind of a joke throughout. Is yeah. literally everybody in college is in their fifties or in their forties. I don't know how you pull that off. That would just it'd be. They did it all the time in the eighties. Everybody was like in high school was in their thirties. Yeah, but not in our 50s. <laughs> That's why that we're taking be... it to the extreme. <laughs> yeah, that might be tough. I, 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 you know, you just you get all those actors from that era back, then it just becomes <laughs> ridiculous, because it's already ridiculous, so you might as well just play into it a little heavier, you know, because you try to think, like, who is the ultimate, you know, jock jerk See, I was thinking of C. Thomas Howell, that I was always trying to play the tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> that could work. That Or or we talked about him our, on our last episode, but if you get Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, right, 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 right. He played the tough guy at some point, right? Well, he did it on Community. On so Community. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Right. But then, do you guys also like the weasel video game, like using the literal weasel? Because, I mean, he calls the clothes in the first son-in-law weasel wear. So, like, yeah. even though he, he doesn't... He he's not the weasel he's crawl but like that's obviously he's playing already into the poly shore he, he's building the weasel verse yeah so <laughs> we just expand it <laughs> and obviously we could get that it can become a phone app and you can play weasel on your phone yes mm, yeah or weasel vr for the kids my son obsessed with vr he would love he really? a video game called weasel in vr <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then what streaming service is going to make this movie? Because no studio at this point uh, is going <laughs> to take a chance on Polly Shore in theaters, so it's going to be direct <laughs> to streaming. Who do we think has the best track record? Is Crackle still around? <laughs> Crackle. No, Tubi. No. Tubi. Tubi needs uh, to get into uh, original programming. Quibi. <laughs> Quibi's been absorbed. Yeah, they were bought out. I know, but... So, but you could Roku. They're they're desperate for anything. They so are. Give it to Roku. Roku presents crawling. Oh, I love it. I mean, we can knock this out for what twenty five million done in done. and out. Oh, I feel like what you do is you just you know you find out you know like this is like for some reason it's Elon Musk's favorite film. You know, like, <laughs> he just, he loves son-in-law. He's a weird guy. He probably does. And then you take it from there. So I think this is going to be a great film, gentlemen. I think we have given Polly Shore the road back. The road back is paved with crawling. It's time. He says he wants to headline movies. Headline a movie, Polly. Not Polly Shore is dead. That one makes me sad.
<laughs> but headline this one. Last thing I'll just say is, you know, as far as directors, because sometimes you have to think like, okay, who is going to infuse it with enough of the right energy? And I, I don't know, like he's not a director, but he's a producer. So I feel like he helms the project. It works out, which is Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen's production company needs to make this film. He's already got the relationship with Hulu, you know, he did Future Man and whatnot. So I feel like his vibe could work very well for this. What, what say you? Hmm. Well, if he, I, I don't know, like you said, he doesn't direct, so I don't quite know. He didn't direct the, the what was it called? The interview? Oh, yeah. He's listed as a co-director on that one. Oh, okay. I don't know. He has experience. There you go. Is I didn't see the interview. Is it worth mimicking? <laughs> no. <Should> we... <laughs> well, it's bad, but it's it's is it it's super bad? The controversy ah. surrounding right. that movie that caused uh, more of the interest in it. You know who might be able to do something good with being able to keep the heart in the film if if we want to have some grounding, because that is where Polly Shore operates the best, where there is some, you know, lovable nature to the character. It's not all a big, ridiculous joke. Is Jay Barrokel, you know, who is in the world, you know, of uh, Seth Rogen films, but he has done, like, in Canada, he did these movies, The Goon, and then Goon 2, Goon and Goon 2, and they are, like, lauded, like they're loved in canada yeah and I, I saw the movies. first one yeah hockey movies and i saw the first one and it is really good but it does you know it has kind of it has a comedic edge but it has like the guy is not the smartest guy in the world you know so he's a little goofy and and it works so i almost feel like he could make a, a pretty good son-in-law sequel i mean all else fails kevin costner but you know he, he might be busy <laughs> What? He needs to branch out. He's done enough no, epics. No, get into he definitely the does not. <laughs> I was going to go with John Favreau. Get back into some of his like uh, uh, swingers route. That would be great. I don't know if you could get him on the phone for a Polly Shore film though. No, that's right. Cross paths. Gonna <laughs> be on Roku. Oh, I'm on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if Disney Plus buys Roku, dude. You know who would totally be up for it because he's looking for a job? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, Jeremy. He would not be up for it right now. I, yes, I doubt it. Yes, he would. The fan uh, four stick. Josh Trank. <laughs> Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Oh, Josh Trank's crawling. There you go. Imagine the studio taking that one away from him. What would they do? <laughs> it doesn't uh, pay much. Is it literally that's the last thing he did? It is. No, wait, I take it back. He did Capone. Oh, really? He did Capone that I don't think went over very well either. Well, th th that means that Tom Hardy should be playing Crawl. Because Tom Hardy can play anything. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I know, Mr. Hardy. I can wear a <laughs> I was wondering when you would wish the juice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Good times. Tom Hardy is Polly Shore in. Well, there we go. It's Polly Shore directing Tom Hardy in the movie. Like he's trying to tell his own story. Very meta. Okay. This is almost like self funded, like The Room. Polly Shore being the dude trying to get his movie made, and Tom Hardy's trying to act like the weasel. I think we can keep 
the Pauly Shore directing Tom Hardy, but only as like a spirit advisor. He's not the resident <laughs> advisor anymore. Now he's the spirit right. advisor from the great uh. beyond to his younger self, played by Tom Hardy. <laughs> We did it, gentlemen. We cracked it, as we always do. We we always find it. That's what you can rely on from Sequel Quest. There it was. The winning idea at the final bell. All right. Well, gentlemen, where can people find you on the web? Wait, we don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> so, until next time, say cheesy. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.